think this is part six of our series on uh, promises of God, and I believe this will be our conclusion this morning, but I'm really excited about our, my, my, the message that I'm really full of Lord has put in my heart this morning to, uh, to preach and deliver. Um, uh, also, too, uh, we're celebrating the day, and uh, in a kind of non-formal fashion, uh, four years ago today, we did start this church. And it was actually the first Sunday of December, which was the 7th of December, uh, four years ago. And so, anyway, happy anniversary to our church, Lighthouse Discipleship Center. Yay! All right, let's go ahead and uh, let's, let's, let's have a word of prayer. Lord, we just thank you for your word. And Lord, I know there's some things that you have put on my heart to share. And Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts to receive. And you would give me the words to articulate and to communicate that which you put on my heart to, to preach. And Lord, we worship you, exalt you, and magnify you in the name of Jesus. Amen. So just a couple of things of uh, uh, rehab from, from the last few weeks as we kind of conclude this morning. This is, we've been spending a lot of time in this passage of Scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20 to 22. Especially verse 20 that says, For all of the promises of God, and all of the prom- all means all. all of the promises of God in Him, in Christ, are yes, and in Him, Christ, amen, to the glory of God through us. All of the promises of God in Christ are yes, and in Him, amen. Not only that, but God is glorified when the promises of God are operating through us, his church, his people, that he has redeemed, he has reconciled to himself, and he has redeemed in his name. And we worship him, we magnify him. We went on last week and we talked about the anointing. And verse 21 22 says, Now he who establishes us, and that's everything we've been trying to teach in this church, is trying to not just know about the promises of God, not just know that we're the righteousness of God, but that we are established in our identity in Christ. But now he who establishes us with you where? In Christ, and has anointed us is God, who also has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. God has established us in Christ. That's one major point that we've been trying to make in everything we teach here. Everything we do here is that we are established in Christ. Not only is that a truth, but that is a truth that we need to be established in our own minds. We are renewed, our lives are transformed by the renewing of our minds. And we need to know and be established, not just theologically, but we need to be established in everything that we do. Everything that we say, whether it's good or it's bad or it's ugly, we need to be established in who we are in Christ. That is the strength, that is the rock, that is everything that our whole life is dependent on. All of our actions, all of our, uh, everything we do, everything we say, is dependent on us knowing who we are in Christ. We need to be established in that foundation. We talked about last week, we are anointed by God. Not just Christ, not just uh, the pastor, not just the, the, the fivefold ministry, but if Christ the anointed one is in you, then you are anointed by God. And the, the anointed one is in you. Paul said that I am crucified in Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And Christ is the anointed one. 
He has anointed you, and you have been anointed by God. I don't care what anyone else says. I don't care what anyone else thinks. You have been anointed by God. Last week we talked about God's anointing in you, which kind of focused on our, our walk with the Lord. Uh, we are, so we talked about God's anointing in you, and we also talked about God's anointing on you and your ministry for two other people. And then we talked several weeks ago, actually I think it was the first week, and we, everything that has kind of stood from this message, now to Abraham and his seed, meaning Christ, where the promise is made. He does not say, and to seed as of many, but as one, and to your seed, who is Christ. In other words, all the promises of God are the promise was made to Christ. It was made to Abraham's seed, who is Christ. So the promise was made to Abraham and his seed, Christ. And that's just, I'm just reiterating that. Uh, but, and so, but he goes on to say in Galatians 3.29, and if you are Christ, or if you are in Christ, which we've been talking about being established in Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. If we are in Christ, and the promise has been made to Christ, then the promise is made to us. And if we are Christ, and we are Abraham's seed, and the promises that were made to Christ are made to us in Christ. That makes sense? Okay? So we will stem everything from, from the foundation. Therefore, because this is true, because the promise has been made to Christ, the promise cannot be voided by our performance. Because the promise was not made to us, it was made to Christ. Therefore, we need to be established in Christ. That makes sense? And when you receive Jesus, the Spirit of Christ, lives in you, He, not you, but He is the promised one. He is the promised seed. Okay? He is anointed one. Uh, when you receive Jesus Christ, the Spirit of Christ lives in you, and He is the anointed one. He is the promised seed of Christ. Okay? And if we're going to walk in the supernatural, we must understand the anointing. We must be established in who we are in Christ. Not only in our walk with God, but also in our operation of ministry towards other people. Jesus said it this way, after he received the Holy Spirit, we talked about that in the last couple of weeks. But in Luke 4, 18, he quotes from Isaiah 61, he says, For the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the broken heart to proclaim liberty to the captives and to recover his sight to the blind. He said, of liberty those who are oppressed. Jesus was anointed to preach the word, to preach the gospel. He was anointed to heal the sick. He was, known, he was anointed to deliver or to set free the captives. Therefore, if we are in Christ, we too are anointed to preach the gospel, preach the word, heal the sick, and deliver and set others free by the power of the gospel. Today, as we conclude this series on the promises of God, we're going to talk about, and we've been kind of touching on this already, but we're going to talk primarily about taking authority and walking in God's ability. Taking authority and walking in God's ability. We're going to be focusing mainly on John chapters 4, 14 to 16. I know that we won't highlight some other passages of scripture along the way, but we're going to be talking about this, and we're going to be... Uh, Focusing on this discourse that Jesus had with the disciples in John 14 to 16, just before he went to was betrayed and was uh, went to the cross. Okay, with that in mind, we're going to start off with John 14 verse 7. 
And there's, if you have known me, Jesus speaking, you would have known my Father also. And from now on you know him and have seen him. And Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. Again, picture kept down to verse 10. He says, and, do you, and Jesus has responded to Philip, says, do you not believe that I am in the Father? And the Father is in me. Basically, uh, Jesus, we, we, when Peter, Philip says, show us the Father, his response is to put him back at a uh, question. Do you not believe that I am the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Now, there's a lot here. I'm going to come back to some of this uh, a little bit later in our study today. But he says, the key, key words are coming out right now, and I'm going to come back to you, is do we believe in him? And we're going to be talking about God's authority. And Jesus spoke. Everything Jesus did was based on his authority that he got from his Father. Who had anointed him? God. He was anointed by the Holy Spirit. Who has anointed us? God. By the Holy Spirit. Okay? And he, his Spirit, dwells in us. Just as he is in the Father, and the Father is in him, we are in Christ, and Christ is in us. And we've been focusing mainly also on the Holy Spirit, who is in us. Okay? He dwells in us. So, if Jesus spoke with authority, because the Father was in him and he was in the Father, if the Father and the Son are in us, we, everything we speak, we speak of authority, because he dwells in us. That makes sense? That's where our authority comes from. It's not because we use magical words. It's not because we follow some formula. It's because Christ is in us. And that is authority. That is the anointing. Does that make sense? Jesus dwelt in the Father and demonstrated his Father's work. That's huge. Jesus did not just speak about the Father. Jesus also demonstrated the Father. And the Spirit, in the same way that Jesus dwelt in the Father and demonstrated the Father's work, we too, the Spirit of Christ dwells in us. And we too demonstrate His finished work. Does that make sense? Okay? In Jesus' words release the ability of His Father. Our words also release the ability of the Holy Spirit, of Christ in us. Okay? Our words are, the Father says it this way, the power, the power of life and death are in the tongue. And, you know, we can get so caught up in things in this world, especially politics and different things and things that happen to us, and we can either speak death right back or speak death over our country and different things, or we can speak life. And the way I understand it is life is stronger than death. Light is stronger than darkness. Love is stronger than hate. And the words that we speak release the ability of the Holy Spirit. Those things that we come against, things happening in our world, in our country, that we cannot change, but we can change the, the world by our words that we speak. We release the power of the Holy Spirit to operate through the words that we speak. Uh, we'll spend a little bit more time with this a little bit later. Okay, that make sense? Our words should testify that Jesus is alive. I would rather spend most of my time magnifying Jesus than magnifying the problem. Because I would rather spend my time focused on the, the solution, the antidote, not the problem. 
diagnosing the problem, um, they're not going to give you a remedy. I'm not saying there's not a place enough time for that at times, but we are to testify. You should receive the Holy Spirit. You should receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be what witnesses. What where's a witness? A witness testifies. If you are called to the or summons to the witness, excuse me, to a witness stand, you are going to give testimony of something. I'm going to testify that Jesus is alive. When we're called upon, or when, when we come a situation, we come to Isaiah 52, verse 7, it says, uh, we, will we will proclaim his peace, and we will complain, proclaim salvation, and we will declare that our God reigns. We're not going to let the situation reign over us. We are going to tell our situation where, that our God reigns. In other words, we're not going to tell God about our situation. We're going to tell our situation about our God. And he is alive. Jesus is alive. That makes sense. Okay? First Corinthians 2 4, Paul says, In my speech, in my speech, and we're talking about the words that we speak, and in my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Not just in words, but also in demonstration. They, they should go hand in hand. Okay? Revival went wherever Jesus went. Wherever he went, revival went. That means revival should go wherever we go. I don't care where we are. I don't care what situation we are. No matter where Jesus was, revival was there. It followed him. Revival should follow us. Why? Because Christ is in us. Christ the anointed one. The one who has anointed us to, by his spirit to preach the gospel, to heal the sick, and set the captives free. He is in us. Revival should follow us. Amen. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And when out of the temple, we talked about Ezekiel 47 last week, out of the temple flows this river, and everywhere that river flows, it was healed. Everything that was touched by the river, everything that's touched by Christ who is in us, there should be revival. If revival's not happening, then there's a disconnect with our knowing who we are in Christ. That makes sense? Christ is not the problem we are. Okay? But at that point in time, we are not here to please man. We are here to please him who has called us. We need to know who has called us. We need to know what he has called us to do. And I'm not just talking about vocationally, ministry-wise, even though that applies. We just need to know that we are called by God. We are anointed by God. We are established by God, no matter what our vocation may be. But we are not here to please man. We are here to please him. And, and you know, I uh, heard Lawson preach the other day, you know, we're not a secret, uh, there's all these uh, seeker-friendly churches. We are God-friendly churches. We're not here to be, to, to, be uh, to, to please men. We're here to please God. He's the one that called us. He's the shepherd. He's the one that builds his house. He's the head. We're not the head. My body reacts to what my head tells it to do. Now, I know some of us can get thick-headed and all kinds of other expressions of that. But uh, we're here to do what God's called us to do. But if we're not connecting with the head, if we're being stubborn and doing our own thing, then we're out of line. And we are here to please God and not man. Okay? And how many of you know that sometimes that's not the most popular thing? It wasn't for Jesus. It wasn't for the apostles. It wasn't for uh, Joseph. It wasn't for Daniel. It wasn't for David at times. David was uh, the minority when it came to Goliath. 
But how many know, sometimes the majority is not the one who wins the battle. It's those who knew who they are in Christ. They know they're coming in relationship with God. Okay? Going back to John, John uh, chapter 14, verse 11 says, Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. Verse 12. Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, key word that keeps coming up, believe, the work that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these will he will do, because I go to, to my Father. I'm going to spend a little more time here in a few minutes, and I've preached in here this passage many times in the past. But I want to spend a little bit of time talking about this believing with him. Mark says it this way, Mark 16 says, and they, he said, Jesus said to them, go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature, and he who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who what? Believe. In my name, we're going to focus on that in just a minute, in my name they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. Verse 20, And they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them, and confirming the words of the company of signs. Amen. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, because I want to get later on in my, further on in my message, but Mark, Jesus says here, these signs who follow those who believe. One thing I want you to want to point out to you, even going back to, to John here, the, he, we shall do the works that he did, and we shall do even greater works, because we believe. Yes, because I go to the Father, I'm going to come back to that part, but also those who believe. Anyways, he, this authority, this anointing, is available to believers. Not just the fivefold ministry, not just the pastor, not just apostles, but to those who believe. And as long as we are believers, we are anointed and, and, and called to do the works that he did, and even greater works. And he said that these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, I'm going to come back to that in a minute, they will cast out demons and they will, they will speak in new tongues and, and they will heal the sick and they will recover. And there's more in there. And I just kind of skipped over Okay? We should be demonstrating the gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay? I'm kind of connecting the last couple messages together with this. We should be demonstrating the gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit. Because why? The Spirit of the Lord has anointed us to preach the gospel and to heal the sick and to set the captives free. We should be demonstrating faith in the power of the gospel. Going back to John 14, verse 12. Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. You know, I should have already talked to this a little bit. To, uh, a couple things I just want to address before we go too much further. The context that Jesus is talking about in John 14 through 16 is about the Holy Spirit. He's talking about the Holy Spirit a lot here. These are his last words before he goes to the cross. This is a very intimate time. In John 13, he just washed their feet. They just had the Lord's Supper. He's given them 
a long, uh, a long discourse here about the Holy Spirit. But Jesus is going is going to the Father. He goes, he goes, you should do the works that I do, and greater works than these you will do because I go to the Father. Why is he going to go to the Father? Because he's going to finish the work. Isaiah said, actually, John 1 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. The Word is not the ink. The Word is a person. His name is Jesus. Right? But it also says in Isaiah that my word will not return void, but it will accomplish the thing that I purpose. Jesus came to die. We're here in the Christmas season. We're celebrating the birth of Christ, and he came to die. He didn't just come to do works. He came to do one major work, and that was the cross. Yes, he did other works, and we're going to be talking about that. But he came to do one major work, and that was to redeem us. Up to this point, up to the cross, no other age has ever received, the, has ever experienced the finished work of the cross. Up from Adam to Jesus, the second Adam, no one has experienced redemption through Jesus Christ. Also, the context that we're talking about is the, the Holy Spirit, and no other age has ever received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, or the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And so he's going to go to the Father. He's saying, I'm going to the Father that I might send you the Holy Spirit. He's, been saying, he's teaching this in context. And so we're going to do great, the works that he did, and we're going to do even greater works because he goes to the Father. We're going to do the works that he did and greater works because of the finished work of the cross. We're going to do the works that he did and greater works because he is sending us the Holy Spirit. He is anointing us with the Holy Spirit to preach the gospel to, to heal the sick and to set the captives free. That make sense? Okay? So, that was my little uh, interruption there. But he says, the, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. What are some of the works? I'm not outlining all the works that he did. John said if we wrote all the things that he did, there would not be enough books to, uh, to, to accommodate that. But he healed the sick, he cast out devils, he cleansed the leper, he raised the dead, he fed the hungry, and he called, he called the sea. I mean, you would be just okay with that. Okay? But we should, be we should demonstrate his same works everywhere we go. Revival should follow us. Okay? But let me, let me just make this, I'm going to make three, three points here, kind of in the middle of my message here. But we, because of redemption, redemption made the greater works possible. Up to this point, Jesus could only do the works he did. Because there was no finished work on the cross. Yes, he received the Holy Spirit. But we shall be doing greater works because of redemption. Because he said, I, you shall do greater works because I go to the Father. He's speaking about the cross. That makes sense? Because we have been redeemed, because we are reconciled as the righteousness of God in Him, we should do greater works. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this that the spirits are subject to you. We talked about this last week in Luke 10 20 to you. But rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. We're talking about authority this morning, and some of that is going to be the spirits are going to be subject to us in the name of Jesus. But don't rejoice in that. Rejoice because your names are written in heaven. And rejoice because you have a relationship with God by redemption. Because 
a right relationship with God, which is righteousness, gives you the authority and power over Satan. Because you are redeemed, because you are in right relationship with God, which is righteousness, that gives you the power over Satan. It's not the, just the words that you speak and, the, and the, the formula that you follow. It's not putting faith in you and your word. It's putting faith in your relationship with God. Being established in Christ. Being established in a right relationship with God. That is what gives you authority and power over Satan. That, was, that is what gives you authority to operate under the anointing. That make sense? Luke 4.18 says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach the gospel, to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and to cover the sight of those who are blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Jesus was anointed to work miracles. Jesus was anointed to heal the sick, to deliver the oppressed, and set people free. Jesus, and we made this point last week, Jesus performed all of his miracles for the three and a half years under the anointing. All the miracles he did, all the humans he did, he did in a three and a half period under the anointing. After he heard those words and was baptized with the Holy Spirit, this is my son who I am well pleased. Because of righteousness, So, so Christ in us is an, has anointed us to do work miracles, heal the sick, deliver the oppressed, and set people free. Moving forward in John 14, it says, If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you. See, we just talked, I made a point that redemption made the greater work possible. The second point I want to make is, we are in relationship with the reason we can do greater works is because we are connected to the source. We are connected to the vine. Christ in us is the life of the vine. In other words, the, the exhortation here is stay connected. Abide in Him. Abide in His Word. The life is in the vine. The life is in the vine and it flows through the branch. We don't have any authority if we're not staying connected to God. That makes sense? We might be redeemed, but we need to stay connected. We need to abide, as we talked several weeks ago, abide under the shelter of the Almighty. Psalm 91. Stay connected to the vine. Do not believe, verse 10, that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. The words that I speak to you, I do not speak my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. John 14, 17, 18 says, The Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. There's a lot being said here, but the main thing I'm focusing on right now is that he's, he's talking about, he'll talk over and over, he'll spend a whole section in John 15 about abiding in him. About abiding, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. We need to be established in who we are in Christ. We need to establish in the, the Holy Spirit, just as the Father was in Him, and He was in the Father, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, is in us. We need to know that. No matter what we're going through, He said, I will never leave you or forsake you. I will be with you to the end of the age. Christ will be with us always. 
And we need to dwell in him, him and us. We spent a whole hour from Psalm 91 talking about dwelling in the secret place of the Almighty. John 15, 7, I'm turning into the main part I want to get into. But he says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask whatever you desire and it will be done for you. I'm going to come back to this asking part, okay? Uh, I'm, I'm just using all the other stuff to, to get to the main part I want to get to this morning. But we need to abide in him. But, it's too, but he says, if we abide in him and abide in his words, you can ask whatever you desire and it will be done for you. In other words, he's given us, if you want a formula, here's a formula right now. There's two requirements for every prayer to be answered. Abide in him, and his word abides in you. That makes sense? Because he says, abide in me, and my words abide in you, and you will ask whatever you desire, and it shall be done for you. What do you want? What are you asking of God? Abide in him, and let his word <coughs> Excuse me. Reminding you. Excuse me. Colossians two nine says, "And for in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily." In John one sixteen, we talked about this in times past. And in His fullness we have received, and grace for grace, we have received of His fullness. <coughs> What I'm trying to make right now is that the fullness of Christ is in you. It's in us. The fullness of Christ. Okay? Christ in us is a living reality. Going back to John 14, 12. And now I'm starting to get into it. I have one more point I'm going to make here in just a minute that I can get really into what I want to get into. It's most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me and the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. And that's verse 12. He says, we will do greater works because I go to the Father. And then the very next verse starts with an and. An and is, the word, is a conjunction. Okay? So not only will we do greater works because he goes to the Father, but because he goes to the Father, whatever you ask in my name... That I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Wow. What are you asking for? What do you want God to do for you? Remember in high school when we had a revival, that was one of the things we would ask people in prayer. We want Jesus to do for you. Just a simple question. I want healing. I don't like what I'm going through. Whatever the case may be. Ask. He says, whatever you ask in my name. I will do it, that the Father may be glorified in the God is glorified when we ask. He is not glorified when we don't ask. And we're going to ask in his name. We're going to spend a little more time with this in just a minute. Okay? The word ask, atio, in the Greek, means one of the definitions. If you study enough and you study it deep enough, you will find that the definition of this word is to demand what is due. It means to make a demand. Ask what is due. We're going to spend a little time with this, and we're going to explain why, why this definition is true in just a minute, okay? But that, that asking is demanding what is due, okay? We make a demand based on his name. We make a demand based on who he is. And we make a demand based on what he already paid for in the cross. It's already been paid for. It's ours, okay? We have a covenant inheritance. 
We have a covenant relationship to use his name, which is the power of attorney. Okay, we're gonna spend a little bit of time with this in just a minute. Ask, what do you want? What do you desire? What do you want? Ask. Jesus gave us his uh, power to use his name. He gave us the power of attorney. I was listening to Lawson the other day on the power of attorney. And one way that he explained it in an illustration, if you know Lawson Purdue, he buys cattle. And when he was first learning how to pay, uh, purchase cattle, the way I understood it, uh, he used to um, purchase cattle with this uh, gentleman that he knew, that he knew what this guy knew how to buy cattle. He was successful with it. At the beginning, he would take <coughs> Lawson with him, whatever points out or what to look for, what not to look for. And, uh, and in, in the beginning of those days, too, uh, Lawson would buy cattle, some for him and some for himself. And the good cattle, the other guy would buy, and uh, the other cattle Lawson would kind of stuck with. But he would, but through that process, he would learn what's good and what's not good. And as Lawson got better at this, he just kept getting good cattle. Because he was trained how to get good cattle. And finally, the, the guy just, when he went to go buy cattle, just said, here's my checkbook. All right, just, write, write, uh, just go get your cattle, get my cattle. I'm not going to reimburse you anymore. You just write a check for my cattle. Because he, he trained him. He knew what to look for. And so, <clears throat> finally one day, I'm going to get back to how it came about, but it, the banker found out that Lawson was doing this. <clears throat> the man had gave him permission, so everything was legal. But he said, this is how you need to sign that check. You need to sign, when you sign the check, you need to sign that person's name by you. In other words, if I wrote a, uh, was writing a check for Sherry, and I would, she gave me the power of attorney to write a check for her, I would write, sign the name Sherry Everett by Dave Everett. That's the power of attorney. God, Jesus said, ask in my name. In other words, we can sign... I can ask in the name of Jesus by Dave Everett. That makes sense? I'm just using that to illustrate how power attorney works. I'm asking in his name. He gave me the permission to use his name for whatever we ask, whatever we desire in his name, that the Father might be glorified in the Son. Asking in his name is the fruit of our relationship with God. In Christ. Okay? Uh, God, uh, Jesus said this, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. Fruitfulness take, is, uh, is Him taking residence in, in us, and my word takes that residence in you. Fruitfulness is having, is having Christ take residence in us. And having his word take residence in him. Hope it doesn't make sense. Because he says, abide, he also said, abide in me and abide in my word. Ask what you will, what you desire, and it will be done to you. We need to abide in him. And as we're abiding in him, the fruitfulness of that relationship is we just ask in his name. And the power of attorney is ours. Ask whatever you want. <coughs> I always love those words. Ask whatever you want. One thing that I, I'm going to just point out here real quick. We're talking about, we're going to talk about asking in his name. 
Jesus emphasizes this point in John 14, he emphasizes it again in John 15, and then he makes it another point of it in John 16. Three times in this discourse about the Holy Spirit, Jesus makes mention that we can ask whatever we want in his name. That's huge. It's huge in the fact that Jesus is being very repetitive about this. And he's, it's huge that he's making mention of this as he's getting ready to go to the cross. And he's huge that he's mentioning this and he's talking about the Holy Spirit. Okay? John 15, 15 says, No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your food should remain. That whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you. And so he says, no, I chose God. I received him. But before I get there, I get ahead of myself. The third thing I want to make right here right now is that we are to follow the calling of God. He chose us. We didn't choose him. So, so three points I've been making right now is that we can ask whatever we want in his name because we have every... In other words, we can do the greater works that he calls us to do because we have been redeemed. We can do the greater works that he calls us to do because we there's a fruit of our relationship with him. And we can do the greater works that he calls us to do because we are following the call of God. We are following what he's called us to do. He, the disciples came, were following Christ because he chose them. He chose his disciples. And some of us might say, no, I chose Christ. I heard the gospel and I chose to be a believer. I chose Jesus. I have this, the song says, I have decided to follow Jesus. There's no turning back. But Jesus said, you did not choose me. I chose you. You made the choice to yield to my choice. He, it was his choice. He redeemed us. When we were still alienated from God, he died for us. He chose us 2,000 years ago. He chose us before the foundation of the world. He chose us. We just made a choice to yield to his choice. And part of his choice is that we ask in his name. There was a barrier where we couldn't do that. It was called sin. It was called separation from God. But Christ has redeemed us and reconciled us to God, and he has given us his own spirit. He has given us the power of eternity to use his name, and he has reconciled us in right relationship with God that we can abide in him, and his word abide in us, that we can ask what we will in his name, and he will do it, that the Father might be glorified to the Son. We did not choose him, but he chose us and appointed us to go and bear fruit that we might ask anything in his name. That makes sense? We have made a choice to yield to his choice. God made a choice for you in Christ. And we are either accepting that choice or we are not accepting that choice. God had a plan for you before you ever arrived. That's huge. God had a plan, a plan A, and he's never had a plan B. God has had a plan for you in Christ before you ever showed up. You are just yielding to his choice. When you became born again, you entered into the plan of God. When you became born again, you entered into the promise of God. That's what we're talking about here. We're talking about the promise of God. When you became born again, 
You step into his plans. You step into his promise. Okay? You did not choose him. You just decided and you say yes to his plan, to his promises. You did not choose him. You just decided to say, I believe. And therefore, I receive. John 15, 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain on whatever you ask the Father in my name. How turning he may give you. God has ordained us to bear fruit. And how is this going to happen? How we begin to become fruitful that whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. Discover his plan and take authority in the name of Jesus. You are not waiting on God. God is waiting on you. He's already paid the price. He's already made it available. He's already given you the power of attorney. He's already given you the check. That the communication of faith may become effectual because you acknowledge every good thing that is in you in Christ. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and He shall give you desire to make. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him, and He will bring it to pass. Talking about relationship. John 16, 23 24. I love this. Jesus, same context, but we're now in chapter 16. He says, In that day, you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Up to this point, we have not. Because we're, we're talking about, this is before the cross. Jesus said, up to this point, you have asked nothing in my name. But now he says, ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. He wants your joy to be full. He doesn't want you suffering with sickness. He doesn't want you suffering with lack. He doesn't want you suffering with brokenness and, and, and the sin and addiction. He wants your joy to be full. And how? How is that joy going to be full? Take authority in his name. Ask. Take authority in his name. Ask in his name. Okay? He says, These things I have spoken unto you in Proverbs. But the time cometh when I shall no more speak unto you in Proverbs, but I shall show you plainly of the Father. Because I don't want my words to become just a storybook. I want this to be an everyday, real life experience. He says, in that day, verse 26, you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I shall pray the Father for you. He says, you will ask in my name, but I'm not going to pray for you. That, that, I, you know, a lot of sacred cows are going to go down with this statement. He says, I'm not going to pray for you. I shall not pray the Father for you. you can, instead, you're going to ask in my name. Says, Jesus says, in that day, I will not pray for you. I don't care how you else you read it, but that's how I read it. Jesus said, in that day, I will not pray for you. He says, in that day, I am giving you the power of authority to use my name. That's huge. God is... We, and then, uh, I'm going to bring this out a little bit more in just a minute. There is power in the name of Jesus. He has given us power and eternity. It's like Lawson, who, who was his friend. He wasn't going to go buy his cattle. He gave Lawson the checkbook. You go buy the cattle. In my name. Why? Christ has already paid the price. He's already made it available. He has already deputized us, given us his anointing. We go 
use his authority in his name. Jesus has already paid for heaven's riches to be ours. And we have a Bible full of promises that are yet in him, amen in him, to the glory of the Father through us. The promises of God are already paid, already yes, they're already amen. Look at square that. Heaven's bank is full. There is abundance waiting for us. Jesus said, in that day, I will not pray for you. In that day, you will get whatever you ask in my name. James said, if you have not, because you ask not. We need to ask. You take your God-given authority and ask in my name. He repeats this himself four or five times in John 14, 15, and 16. He said that we are to ask in his name. He makes it... When Jesus is repetitive, it behooves us to listen. There's a major point that he's making here. You have authority. Use the name of Jesus. He, he commissioned the twelve and the seven. You lay hands on the sick. You cast out devils. You raise the dead. You preach the kingdom of God that's here. You do this. The Spirit of God is upon you. He has anointed you. All the promises of God are in you. And yes and amen. Jesus has anointed. He has given us his spirit. He has given us. We have the same Holy Spirit he has. We have the same anointing he has. We have the same power of attorney that he has in using his name. You are his child. You are his family. You are baptized, as Peter says in the book of Acts, you have been baptized into his name. Now use his name. God is not holding out on you. So many people are waiting for God to do something. They're praying, begging God to move. And God says, rise up and use what I have given you. Rise up and use what I have already paid for. And use my name. We're waiting on God. Jesus did his part. The promises have already been given. The promises is already yes and amen to the glory of God through us. We have the power of the Holy Spirit. Now rise up and ask, take what is yours in the name of Jesus. It's been paid for, it's bought. And uh, stop whining about what you don't have and use what you do have in the name of Jesus. My redemption. Jesus is saying, my redemption made of him. Abide in me and my word and ask in my name. Continue in relationship with me. Follow my calling on your life. I have handpicked you. I chose you. And that day, ask in my name. There is authority in my name. There is power in my name. There is victory in my name. There is healing in my name. There is blessing in my name. There's favor in my name. You have complete authority. You have complete anointing to use my name. You have the power of the Holy Spirit. John 14, 12 again says, Most surely I say to you, He who believes in me and the works that I do, he will also the greater works than me, he will do because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that 
Release himself from the ass. Anything in my name, I will do it. Again, he repeats himself about five or six different times between. This is the first time he says it in this context, all the way to chapter 16. He repeats himself four or five different times. Okay? And he goes on, he says, The Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yes, I've been highlighting the part about asking him, but also remind to be reminded of the context of John 14 to 16, he's talking about the Holy Spirit, okay? And he's talking about that he's going to send the Holy Spirit. He's going to send a helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send where? In my name. And he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. The Holy Spirit is our teacher, and he is there to remind us what God has said, what Jesus has said, what Jesus has done. The Holy Spirit makes the word of God come alive to us. But when the helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me, says the Lord. He's going to give testimony to God. The Holy Spirit is going to remind us of what they asked for. He's going to remind us of our relationship with God. And he's going to testify of Jesus. If the Holy Spirit that you are claiming to have a relationship is not testifying of Jesus, then I have to question, what, what spirit are you listening to? Because the Spirit will remind you, will teach you all things, will remind you what Jesus, God has said, and he will testify of Jesus. He will always testify of Jesus. Okay? The Holy Spirit testifies of Christ in us. And if you're going to testify of Jesus, he's going to testify of Christ in us. You can't separate the two. Okay? But Paul makes a statement in Romans 8, 14. He says, For as many are led by the Spirit of God, these are the children of God. We're talking about the Holy Spirit. We're talking about operating in the, the anointing. We're talking about authority. But those who are led by the Spirit, not by the flesh, not by thinking, carnal thinking, but are led by the Spirit, these are the sons of God. You are God's own child. And the Holy Spirit is going to remind you that you're God's own child. Because he, you're God's own family. And even in the same context that we just read, those who are led by the Spirit of God, these are the children of God, the very next two verses says, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. God's talking in John 14 through 16 Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit, and the Holy the Spirit that we receive is not a spirit of fear, but we have received a spirit of adoption, and we who are led by the Spirit of God, we are the children of God, because the Spirit of God bears witness, He testifies of Jesus, and He bears witness that we are the children of God. And if we are the children of God, then we are, the, I'm getting ahead of myself, the Spirit of God is bearing witness that we are the children of God. For as many are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. As the children of God, the, as the children of God, the Spirit of God is leading us to our divine rights. He's leading us to our to our, our heritage, to our promise, because we're talking about the promises of God. I had a verse in here. Uh, I feel like I'm missing out here. Right, so I just want to pause for a moment. See, the Spirit of God is in us, and we have seen see the Spirit of God, and He is, is, is teaching us, reminding us that we are the children of God. 
that making sense? And he goes on to say that we are heirs, heirs according to the promise. I hope we're not making sense here this morning. But we, I, I felt like I'm being a little choppy right now. And I'm trying to get make my point across that the Spirit of God is in us is reminding us of the promises of God that are yes and amen in us. Our heritage because of who we are in Christ. Because we are in right relationship with Him. We are abiding in Him. Abiding in His Word. We're connected to Him. We, he chose us. We did not choose Him. We're following the call of God. And what's the call of God? That we be fruitful. As the children of God, He's reminding us who we are in Christ. So that we can ask in His name. The Holy Spirit is going to remind us who we are. As the children of God, the Spirit of God is leading us to our heritage. The promise of God. Because we have already established that the Abraham and his seed were the promise made. He did not say it to the seed of the many, but as seed of one, and to your seed, which is Christ. The promise was made to Christ and his seed. We are Christ's seed. We are the children of God. The promise was made to Abraham and his seed. If you're Christ and you are seed and heirs according to the promise, that's the job of the Holy Spirit to remind us and teach us who we are. So that we can ask. So many people are trying to beg God to move, but we don't know who we are. The promise cannot be voided because of performance. I'm being repetitive of what I talked about in the beginning. <coughs> but if we are going to walk in the supernatural, we must understand the anointing. We must understand who we are in the Holy Spirit, okay? Sorry, fast forwarding that time. Too repetitive here. The Spirit of the Lord has anointed us to preach the gospel, to heal the sick. And to set the captives free. The Spirit of God is leading us to the promises of God. Our heritage, who we are in Christ. By connecting us and reconnecting us to the vine. Which is the source. Okay, as the children of God, we have an inheritance. We have a promise. We have rights as the children of God. Okay? We have privileges as the children of God. The Spirit of God leads us into the things of God. That are in us, to, to are ours because we are Christ. We are received. Yeah, being very repetitive here. Not too many notes here. Let's pick up verse uh, John sixteen verse seven. Sorry about that. Says so, nevertheless, I I tell you that the truth is, speaking for you that I go away. For I do, if I go not away, the Comforter will not come, but to to you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he comes, he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they do not believe in me, and of righteousness because they go to my Father and see me no more. Of judgment because of the Lord of the world is judge. See, the Spirit of God will come and first of all convict the world of sin, sin. The writer of Hebrews expounds on this, that there's one sin that will keep us from the promised land, and that is the sin of unbelief. If we don't, if we don't, if we, if we are not convinced that he who knew no sin became our sin, that we might become the righteous of God. If we don't have a revelation that he dealt with, if we don't deal with this one sin of unbelief, then he can't deal with all the other sins, bro. Am I making sense? 
If we don't, I don't believe that he took our sins and he crucified them. If we have unbelief in that, if we don't receive Jesus, if we don't receive his redemption, if we don't receive this uh, uh, relationship, righteousness of God, righteousness is not who, what we do, righteousness is who we are because we receive Christ. But if we, don't have, if we are not convicted of the work of sin, that he has took our sin, that he can't deal with all of our sins. Even though he dealt with that, but we have not received that redemption. We have not received that pain. We have not received that relationship with God. And he, the Spirit of God will declare Jesus made righteous, made righteousness available to every believer. He will remind you of his righteousness. How I many of you know that we need his reminder? We need to come to his table daily to be reminded that he was broken for our sickness and that he, that the blood of his covenant, that we've been redeemed by the blood of Christ. We need that reminder. And he will. And he also reminded us that the enemy has been judged. We need to remind that he made him who knew those sins to become simple that we might become the righteous God in him. The Spirit of God will reveal that Satan is already defeated. We need that reminder. Because Satan tries to remind us otherwise. He lies to us and deceives us otherwise that he is still in charge and he's still destroying our lives. But we must be established in the absolute victory of Christ. See, when David came out of the scene with Goliath, he knew the victory was his. He didn't come out to Goliath in his own strength. He came out to Goliath in the name of the Lord. That's what, Paul, what Jesus has been telling us. To come in his name. David came in the name of the Lord. David had this revelation. We must be established in the absolute defeat of Satan and the victory that we have in Christ Jesus. Okay? John 16, 12, and 13. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you to all truth, for he will speak not of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you the things to come. That sounds like what Jesus said. Okay, back in John 14. And he will glorify me, for he will make what is mine, and declare it to you. That's our inheritance. The Holy Spirit will come and declare what is Christ, and make it known to us, and declare it to us. He goes on to say, all things that the Father has are, has are mine. Therefore I said that he, the Holy Spirit, will take a mind and declare to you. Whatever the promise has been made to Christ. Christ the promise was made to Abraham and seen me in Christ. And we are Christ, the promise was made to us. And the Holy Spirit will declare what is Christ to us. That's huge. If we can grasp that. We should not expect normal results. We should expect supernatural results. Why? We are in Christ. We have anointed one. I'm going to switch gears here as I, I bring this to a conclusion tonight, or this morning, excuse me. But Ephesians chapter 6, Paul makes a statement. So I'm switching gears totally here. We're going to switch to Ephesians, and we're going to close here out of Ephesians this, this morning. Hopefully, that made sense this morning. I, I wanted to bring that with a little more charisma this morning. So we have to ask, ask in his name. We're not waiting on God. God is waiting on us. I'm, I'm going to emphasize that a little bit more in just a minute. I'll tie that title all again. It says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. There is strength in Jesus. There is strength in his might. Okay? There is power in his might. There is authority in his ability. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. 
Now this word might that's being used here in Ephesians chapter 6 is the word issues. It means dominion, strength, ability, might, power manifested through the reign and authority. Okay? See, in the Old Testament, it was, it was understood that God rules and that he reigns. In the Old Testament, they understood God's dominion over, over, over things. They understood that. Okay? In, the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, they witnessed the Spirit of God coming on someone. They witnessed that. And there, for example, this is one thing we read back in Isaiah chapter 11. And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch, and shall grow out of his roots. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, and the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and the might, and the Spirit of knowledge. In other words, what I'm trying to bring out here, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on this part, but uh, is that we they understood in the Old Testament the Spirit of God would come upon someone. For example, like Samson. The Spirit of God came on someone. The Spirit of God would come on even the prophets. Uh, came on Elijah and Elisha and different things. They understood that. They understood about the Spirit of God and the Spirit of might. They understood that God had dominion. Okay? Now, what if, uh, well, in Ephesians, I'm going to back up two chapters to Ephesians chapter 3. So that he would grant you, and Paul is praying a prayer here, but I'm picking up another prayer. Paul is praying that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man. Now, this word might is a, is a different word than the other word might. This word might in the, in the Greek means the special miracle working power of God. And when I dug, dug, dug a little deeper, this word dunamis also says that it is inherited by nature. It's a special miracle working power of God that is inherited by nature. That's huge. That's huge. And everything we've been talking about is who we are in Christ. We have the special miracle working power of God because we are born again and we are born of His Spirit. And His Spirit is reminding us that we are the children of God, that we have been born of God. And Paul, is, I want to back up here, and God is praying that He would grant you according to his, the riches of His glory to be strengthened with might, the miracle working power of God that is inherited by nature through his spirit. That's what we've been talking about in the inner man. See, in the Old Testament, they understood that God had dominion. In the Old Testament, they understood that God had power and ability. In the Old Testament, the Old Testament they did not have Christ in them. They did not have the power of the Holy Spirit. When you are born again and filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you have the miracle-working power of God in you. The miracle-working power of God is inherited by nature. The fact that you are born again, that you are baptized in the Spirit, you have the miracle-working power of God. Faith. Uh, the, 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 uh, I'm sorry, I forget what I'm trying to say here, but the ability of God is in you. Okay? Verse 14. Again. Those who are led by the Spirit of God, they are the children of God. The miracle-working power of God is in you because you are a child of God. And that's why the, the Holy Spirit has not, not given us a spirit of fear, but he has given us the spirit of adoption to remind us who that the miracle-working power of God is in us. That's why Jesus said you should have received power, dunamis, 
same word, power. You shall receive dunamis when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, to Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the world. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom. Now we're picking time, so excuse me. Start reading. But I'm going back now to chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 1. At the end of this uh, book, Paul, again, praying a prayer. He says, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of him. That the eyes of your understanding be enlightened, that you may know what the hope of his calling what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? In other words, I want to I can I can speak hours just on those two uh, scriptures right now. But I'm trying to uh, get to my main point. I want to get to as I bring us to a conclusion this morning. Paul's saying here, I want the church to know Jesus. I want them to know that He has called you what He's called you to do, not just collectively, but also individually, what God has called you to do. I want you to know what He has invested in you. To get the job done, which is Christ, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of wisdom and might, and everything, and everything else that he describes there. But I want to pick it up in verse 19 here. And what is the, he says, I also want you to know what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power. There's actually two different words being used here. And uh, one is Eshuas uh, and one is Dunas, okay? But she worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his might right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also now which is to come. And he has put all things under, under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church with his body and the fullness of him who fills all in all. Again, I just want to reemphasize Paul saying, I want you to know Jesus. I want you to know what he's called you to do. I want you to know what he's invested in you to get the job done. God has invested himself. He has filled you with his fullness. He has filled you with his Holy Spirit. He's, we've been talking in the last hour that he said, I, you shall ask anything in my name, and therefore I will do it that the Father might be glorified in the Son. He has invested himself. He has given you his power. He has given you the miracle-working power that is inherited by nature in you. He wants you to know who you have. Okay? Again, Dumas is the special working power of God inherited by nature. You have, this is one of my main points I'm trying to make out, you have a new nature. You are the righteousness of God. You are born of his spirit. You the anointing of God, the Spirit of God is in you. The same Spirit of Christ is in you. To, yeah, he has anointed you to preach the gospel, to heal the sick, to set the captives free. You have a new nature. You have the special miracle working power of God resident in you. We've already talked about in length that we have been given the power of attorney to ask in his name. Not only do we have the power of attorney, but we have the spirit of might, the spirit of power, and that's the miracle, same miracle working power as in us in Christ. Paul, Paul is praying. He wants the church to know this. He wants the church to know who they are in Christ. This miracle working power of God, the same power to raise Christ from the dead is alive and is at work in us. We're not waiting for God to do something. He's waiting for us to get a revelation of who we are. So we can start operating this way. Because He is resting in us. We're looking, like, looking for Him elsewhere, but He's there with us. Does that make sense? 
You have the special working power of Christ in uh, God in Christ in you. You have the special miracle working power of God in His seat, in His promise, which is already resident in you. You have the special working power of God in the Holy Spirit. Who, um, who is in you? Okay. Again, those who are led by the Spirit of God, they are the children of God. I'm being repetitive here. Um, too many notes here. Sorry about that. We need to realize we are a new creation. We have His nature. We are a new creation. We're in Christ Jesus. We all things have become new. Uh, we have become, we have been made, we have been born of the righteousness of God in Him. Our new nature has the miracle-working power of God. The supernatural power of God is resident in us, in Christ. We have the Holy Spirit Himself in us. Paul wants us to believe. God, Paul wants us to know the exceeding greatness of His power towards us who believe according to the working of His mighty power. That last power here is actually issues. One first word that we use uh, when he says, "Finally, my brother, be strong in the power of His might," uh, which is, and that means God's dominion, His strength, His ability, His power manifests through His reign and authority. Because we were talking about His reign and authority. <coughs> and Paul was another seeing greatness of His special miracle-working power, which is inherent in my nature, towards us who believe according to the working of His authority according to the reign of his dominion and authority, which is in us, in Christ Jesus. But he worked in Christ when he raised from the dead. He exercised this reign and authority in Christ when he raised him from the dead. You have a new nature. You have a special miracle of the power of Christ present in you. God wants us to know and understand, with as believers, that we can walk in his dominion. If we are not established in the anointing, if we're not establishing who we are in Christ, if we're not establishing this as believers, we won't walk in this dominion again. We're going to keep asking God to do something He has always done. Okay? God wants us to know, understand that as believers, that we can take authority and walk in His dominion. The miracle working power of Christ is inside of every believer. We must understand, we can act, we can walk in His dominion using our authority and ask. Demand what is due. What we already talked about. Okay. See, the church understands, just like in the Old Testament, that God has dominion. The church understands, like the Old Testament, that God has power. But a no born-again believer in the church is going to argue that God has dominion. Or that God has power. No one can argue that Jesus has power. The church knows that. <coughs> but the church knows there is knows that there is the same kind of power that is available. However, but the church is still acting like we are still under the old covenant. The church is still acting like we still are trying to get that power to come to us. <coughs> God wants us to rise up and take authority in the name of Jesus. God wants us to demonstrate the kingdom of God is here. It's on the earth. God, the, church, the church is earnestly waiting on God 
But in all reality, the work has already been done. It was done on the cross. God is waiting on us to rise up and go forward in the name of Jesus. Hopefully I'm making sense with this. I'm not going to read my notes here, but which I am. <laughs> but that, and so, but it's just uh, just trying to make it so, so simple. But God is waiting on us to rise up and go forward in the authority of Jesus. We have been deputized. We've been anointed. We have the power of the Holy Spirit. We have the same working power, uh, miracle working power of Christ in us. We need to walk in it. We need to see the victory. The price is paid. The promise is yours. And we've been talking about all the promises of God are yes and amen in Him to the glory of God through us. God is glorified when we operate in the promises He's already paid. We've already been anointed. We already have the power. We already are. He's given us His Spirit to remind us and to teach us that we are the children of God. We are those who are led by the Spirit of God. They are the children of God. And remind us who we are in Christ. And Paul wants us to know by the Spirit of God who we are, this power that's been made available to us. We don't need to ask God to do something. We need to exercise the authority we already have. And five or six times what we already highlighted this morning is that in between John 14 and 16, over five or six times, Jesus emphasizes that we need to ask in his name. We need to use the power of attorney he has given us in his name. When you have power of attorney, you can sign that check. You can use that signature in that person's name. And he has given us that And John, again, in John 14 to 16, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. And in that context, four, four or five times, he talks about that we are to ask in his name. We're to use his power and attorney. But we, we, I don't know about you, but even though I know this, I teach this, I, I still need to be reminded that I'm a child of God. I get so caught up in the world. I get so caught up in things that are happening in life. Sometimes in the moment, I forget who I am. And I'm asking God to do something when he says, I've already done it. I've given it to you. I've given you the power of attorney. Now ask. Does that make any sense? God is waiting on you. All the promises of God are in him are yes. And in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. Who, now he who establishes us, and you is with you in Christ, has anointed us in God, who has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts that we guarantee. The Spirit of the Lord is upon us because He has anointed us to preach His gospel. Okay? Um, I just got to bring I'm just about down here. But again, I just want to highlight something we talked about last week. We're talking about the spirits being subject to us. Because even in you know, the context that we read in Ephesians, he talks about he's given us power over every principality and power and dominion. He says, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this that the spirits are subject to you. But rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Rejoice because you have a relationship with God. The, the only reason we have authority is because we have a relationship with God. One reason we have authority is because we are connected to the divine. We are connected to the source. We are connected to the source of life. We need to rejoice that we have our name of written in heaven, not that the spirits are subject to us. They are subject to us in his name. But the strength of that, the source of that, is our relationship with God because of his righteousness. Okay? Now, close with this. I 
and they sang a new song saying, you know, this is, I love this passage in John, I mean, Revelation chapter 5, John wrote this, and he's echoing what he saw, and when he, Revelation chapter 5, it talks about, after, this is after the resurrection, this is after the ascension, I believe, and, Jesus, and John gets a revelation of this lamb standing on the throne of God, a lamb that has been slain. It was so awesome that before this, uh, during this revelation, John was weeping because no one was with him to open the scroll. But then he saw this lamb that was slain, and it changed to the song in heaven. And it, this is the song that they sang, and you are worthy to take the scroll, and to open the seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. God has redeemed us by his blood, and he has made us, his church, kings and priests, that we shall reign on the earth. Our circumstances don't reign over us. Our God reigns over our circumstances. We don't not telling our our God about our circumstances. We are telling our circumstances about our God. And that is using the building for his name. And the price is paid. The promise is in us. Is yours. Christ lives in us. <coughs> Christ lives through us. And all the promises of God. In him are yes and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. Amen. Lord, we worship you this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Lord, we just exalt you. We magnify you. Lord, I just, uh, we just, uh, the words that you have spoken to us, we just pray that we're going to continue to seal those off. In your name we give you thanks.